Oh, I'm so grateful that you guys are friendly faces, that you have smiles on your faces, that you're warm, that you're receptive, because I do feel scared. This is not my wheelhouse. Um, I've done this before, but it's always, um, it's always anxiety producing for me. So thank you for being so warm, so kind, so friendly. Um, I see a lot of familiar people. Um, many of you I have gotten to know intimately and personally because you have been um, clients of mine over the years. And I just want to say that seeing you here um, does my heart really, really good. Um, I have a really deep fondness um, for you and the time that we spent together. Um, I cherish that and I miss you. So thank you for being here and braving the awkwardness of having your former therapist um, be your retreat speaker. Um, I'll try not to like out you, um, but I do like, I'll, I'll hug everybody. I'll hug everybody. Um, oh gosh. Um, what else did I want to say? Um, I think we'll start with a few photos um, from my life because that just feels like the right thing to do. Um, there should be a photo. Those are my guys. That's my little boy, Samson, and my slightly bigger boy. You were here last night, haha. -ha. Um, Greg. <laughs> Our age difference, I made that seem, um, oh, we can transition. Oh, we can re we can go back. Or we can trans, what? That one's solid and that one's transitioning. Okay. Um, so, uh, Greg, just for the record, he is seven and a half years younger than me. It sounds like eight right now because he hasn't had the half thing catch up yet. <laughs> so, 33 and 41. It just sounds bad because we're solidly in different decades, but what are you going to do? Um, so, that's us. I love them. That little boy has our attention. Um, that is a very um, accurate picture of our lives. Um, transitioning, and we will come back to this. You see me here with a tray full of gorgeous croissants. I'll tell you more about those croissants a little bit later. This is, um, I have a huge love affair with the city of New York. And um, for the last seven years, I've gotten to go every single year. And a couple of the trips I've taken just by myself, that's me being a warrior, um, flying into New York City and finding my way around the city. I stay in an apartment on the Upper West Side and do whatever I want to do. And on this trip, I took um, a croissant making class at a French bakery. Um, so we'll talk more about how great that was or wasn't. <laughs> The next picture, I think I have one more. When I go to New York City, what I do is I eat. And when I say in that brochure, you see my bio that says I enjoy all the high-fat foods, I'm not just being one of those people that's like, oh, I kind of eat a lot, and they really don't. When I go on a trip, I eat a lot. And this is an example of like a three-day trip I took. Um, and you know how I have a friend who's really health conscious and she's really into fresh, fresh fruits and veggies and eating the rainbow. You know, it's eating the rainbow, a variety of colors. And you're supposed to stay away from brown foods because they have the least nutrients, right? I kind of noticed that the majority of the foods I eat when I'm by myself are some shade of brown. And these right here are... Um, this is from Magnolia Bakery, a very, you know, reputable bakery. This is the, you guys, oh, I love you. 
That's the banana pudding. So I go and I get a container of banana pudding. Well, they said, we also have chocolate banana pudding as a special. And I was like, I'll take one of each. Uh, I ate both of those. So anyway, that's me. That's the high fat foods um, I thoroughly enjoy. And if you want to have a more information about that later, I'd be happy to share. So that's a little bit about my life. Um, I can tell I woke up this morning at an hour that you're never supposed to be awake. Um, and I can tell that, there, that God has something to say today. Um, and the reason I can tell is because I was up at 3.30 and never fell back to sleep. And um, my thoughts were just racing. I just felt pushed on and pressed on, and I felt harassed, and I felt like um, there was battle going on. And, um, and I think there really is, because we're going to be talking um, today, kind of a part A and a part B, um, this morning and this evening about wandering. And um, I think there's a lot at stake in the wandering. And I don't think I know. And I think the enemy knows that um, things go to die in the desert. And the enemy wants things to die in the desert. He wants hope to die. He wants faith in God and his plan for you to die. He wants relationships to die in the desert. And I think there is so much at stake in the desert place. And I feel the push. Um, so we're going to talk about that today. And I know um, that there's going to be some encouragement for you guys, because I believe that there's quite a few of us wandering, um, if not in a full way in our lives right now, in some area of our lives. Um, so I, I believe that um, he's going to give us a word today um, and speak encouragement and life um, in this desert place. So what does it mean to wander? To wander means to move about without a fixed course, an aim or a goal. It means to follow a winding course. A desert, I think we have a photo of a desert. I'm not so sure it's gonna be large enough. Oh, perfect, it came across. This is an actual picture of the Sinai Desert. The definition of a desert is an arid, I had to look that up, arid, excessively dry. An excessively dry land with sparse vegetation, a very warm climate, sporadic rainfall, an area devoid of life, it's desolate. Sometimes we talk about the desert or the wilderness. Wilderness is actually very similar. I like to use desert because metaphorically for me it conjures up this image of very dry um, and sparse. I think of wilderness, I tend to think of like our lush forests, you know, so I think of, oh, wilderness, I want to go there. Um, but some parts of the wilderness actually apply that it tends to be places, wilderness tends to be uninhabited um, and obsolete. So if we think about the desert place of our lives, what might that look like? I think about wandering through a desert season of our life being um, dry, sparsely populated, we were alone. Um, there's not a lot of life happening and springing forward there. Um, that it's monotonous, that we seem to have the same scenery everywhere we go, that we're just circling kind of the same path. I think sometimes, too, it just kind of struck me this morning that our mind plays tricks on us in the desert, and I think that actually happens, like that mirage effect that you actually see like something kind of coming up and it looks like water. Or you might think, oh, up around the corner, it's going to change. Oh, no, it's the same. So the desert place, 
If you're living in a desert place, it might be chosen for you. It might be chosen by you. Some of you have been pushed into the desert because of things in your life. Infertility, a partner who's unfaithful, divorce, losing your job, maybe health problems, a child who's hurting or has special needs, maybe financial struggle or loss, conflict, or social isolation. Or maybe that desert place for you is singleness. Maybe you chose your desert place. We chose our desert place. Job change. Maybe you chose to get married. You think, oh gosh, I got my thing that I wanted. How did it end up being a desert place? Motherhood. I think we can relate to seasons of motherhood being desert places. Maybe you chose divorce. Maybe you chose to move into a new community. Maybe you're embarking on a big project like building a home or starting a business or creating something new. Maybe you're choosing to get healthy, whether that's physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally, relationally. Maybe you're trying to conquer an addiction. And in that, you find yourself in a desert place, wandering, unsure, following a winding path with no necessary aim or direction. Either way, whether that was chosen for you or initiated by you, it might feel exhausting, unending, covering the same ground over and over again, disheartening, stagnant, painful, discouraging, depressing, unmotivating. I can list adjectives forever. I'm a counselor. Um, You might get to that place of feeling hopeless, helpless, maybe even like giving in and going back to where you came from. It's been really helpful for me since I'm kind of running this parallel season in my life of the desert place to be looking at Joshua's life and part of his life was the wandering in the desert and to just sit with that and see what God wanted to pull up from that to share for for me to grab onto and to hang on to and to have some sort of structure and semblance to this wandering and also to share with you guys. So this comes from a place of really deep personal interaction with this where I find myself going, okay, I'm going to apply these. I'm going to go there. This is what I'm hanging on to because it can be such a vast expanse that it's really helpful to have something to hang on to in this season. So these are some things that I extrapolated out of the wandering that have given me something to hold on to, somewhat of a framework that maybe will be helpful for you too. In your books, you'll find that I listed um, them, and you can take notes or not take notes, but just they're, they're in there to reference back to. The first lesson or the first takeaway that I have from the wandering is that God has more for you. God has more for you. I felt like God had more for me. My husband felt we feel as a family, God has more for us. For 400 years, the Israelites, God's chosen people, were living as slaves in Egypt. Generation after generation, they worked making bricks, building Pharaoh's treasure cities. As a people, they increased in size and population. And this then became a threat to Pharaoh. He's like, whoa, there's becoming maybe more Israelites than there are Egyptians. And then that's when he imposed the 
um, population control of throwing the firstborn sons into the river, um, and things started to get um, pretty nasty. God had more for the Israelites. And as I was reading this, I found, um, and what I was looking at is that slavery was keeping them small, which seems sort of like a paradox to um, that they were growing in number, but slavery was keeping them small. They were repressed as individuals and as a nation. And there was a prophecy over this nation that this nation would be, would be great. And from this nation would come the Savior, would come Jesus Christ, but not under these conditions. In order to accomplish his purpose, purpose there needed to be an epic shift in their rule and in their role. They were ruled by the Egyptians and the authority and the slave masters, and they were relegated to their role and their assignment as slaves. At the beck and call of whatever it was the Egyptians wanted of them. They were steeped in the Egyptian culture, their identity and their roles were as slaves. And what God needed to do was pull them out of that and reorient them to who he was, to who he is, to his authority. He wanted them to be led by him. He wanted their authority and their leadership um, to be him. There's no better evidence of how steep they were in the Egyptian culture than when they're pulled out of the wilderness or pulled out of, the, out of slavery. They're in the wilderness. Miracles have happened to get them there. Moses is up on the mountain for crying out loud, having a face-to-face with God. We all knew, they all knew that this is what was going on. But Moses was taking so long and they're like, we gotta do something. And so they pitch in all of their gold They throw it into the fire and they make a golden calf. And I was like, what in the world? A golden calf? Like, if I'm getting rid of my jewelry, we're making something a lot cooler than a calf. (laughs) So I did a little research, and that's typical of the Egyptian culture, the pagan worship. And cows were a thing to worship. So that's what they did. They're anxious. They're nervous. Maybe he's taking too long. Maybe he forgot about us. Maybe God's not talking to him. We don't know. We need something. So let's make this and worship it. So they were steeped in to the Egyptian culture. And they didn't even really debate about that. It was just like, yes, let's do that. So my story parallels a little bit. I'm going to take liberties. Please, just lots of grace, you guys. So over the past years, you know, you know I talked about it last night, just that increasing feeling of confinement um, in my work. Kind of the, one of the words I would use um, consistently was I felt suffocated, which is so strange um, because the life, um, the work was very life-giving and good things were happening there. Um, I'm increasing in numbers as far as um, the amount of clients that I had and my business and, and everything was running in, for all intents and purposes, a really enviable way um, as far as if you have a private practice, like that's a really cool setup you got there. And so I was like trying to make adjustments. What's going on? It must be me. Like, let's figure out, like, do I need to work one less day a week? Do I need to make sure I only see this many clients a day? Do I need to take a trip to New York or, you know, and I would make all of these adjustments and they would be fine for a little while, but it kept coming back. 
It kept coming back. And so for a couple of years leading up to this last year when I um, felt called to close it down, um, that was the prevailing feeling uh, for me. Um, I was outgrowing that role, plain and simple. Um, It was when I was um, talking with my husband over one of the last maybe months that I was actually in practice. I said, it's so strange to shut something down that's thriving. My clients are thriving, the business is good, and it feels so strange to shut something down that's thriving. And he said, but you haven't been thriving, and that matters. And so same for him as I shared last night, feeling confined and feeling that he was made for more, he made a similar decision, and here we find ourselves um, wandering. We've stepped out of the conventions um, that were good, um, but that have been keeping us small. So we hearken back and we believe, and I want you to believe this too. If you're in a wandering place, you're in the middle place, you're not where you were, you're not where you hope to be, you're here for I hope only this long, but it might be this long or this long, that God has more for you. Believe that. I had to come back to that this week. I had to come back to God has more for me. Number two, and this is obvious, but it is so worth saying, and Jessica did an awesome job saying this last night in her testimony, it's going to be uncomfortable. Stepping into an unknown place um, for the Israelites with unknown roles and a less kind of concrete ruler, a more abstract ruler, was hard for them. Stepping out or being pushed out is an incredibly vulnerable feeling. It means leaving something behind, closing a door, loss, and change is hard. Change is really hard. Adjustment disorders, I'm in the world of mental health, adjustment adjustment disorders are a real thing. I'd say the majority of the clients that I saw were diagnosed with an adjustment disorder. What is an adjustment disorder? It's a response to something that happens in your life. It's usually a response to something that was unexpected, possibly, and it's a response that usually yields depression, anxiety, uh, irritation, irritability, um, agitation, conflict, um, and people having a hard time, quote-unquote, getting over it. I'd say the Israelites were diagnosable, adjustment disorder. We give them a bad rap for complaining and wanting to go back, but really it's what they knew, right? Um, It was oppression, it was slavery, it was bondage, but it was predictable. They weren't flourishing, but their basic needs were met. They knew where they were going to sleep. They knew where their next meal was going to come from. They knew how much they were going to get paid, even if it was nothing or very little. There was certainty to that life. There was predictability. When basic needs are in question, it takes us to a deep level of insecurity. I don't think any of us here would fault anybody who lost their home tragically in the wildfires over the last month down in California. I don't think we'd fault any of them who lost everything for feeling a sense of insecurity about the losses in their life. It's understandable. So I'm asking you, when have you felt under-equipped for what's being asked of you or unprepared for a place that you find yourself? Have you complained? Are you scared? Do you just want to go back? 
Maybe you've moved to a new town, maybe you are in a new school, maybe you're here and that's the scary wandering place. Maybe you got out of a bad relationship. Maybe you left a job, maybe you've stopped a behavior that you've really been working hard to stop. And that creates uncertainty and increases to anxiety, which makes us just want to go back. How many people have left a relationship and just and known it was the right thing and just want to go back because of the uncertainty and the anxiety that's, that's coming up? So the third thing is, so yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Wandering, God has more for you, you're out, it's uncomfortable. And the third lesson I pulled out here is lean in. And Jessica and Rachel and Heidi have all shared with us really powerful examples of how things have been uncomfortable and uncertain. And instead of running away, they've leaned in deeper. They've done their own work. They've been honest about their emotions. They've faced their fears. So some really powerful examples this weekend of people who are leaning into the discomfort of this season. These feelings can be pushed through. I'm talking about feelings like uncertainty, anxiety, fear, vulnerability, everything you feel as you're in this middle place, this desert place. These feelings can be pushed through and worked through. I'm encouraging you not to stop the journey because you feel the feelings. Don't, don't, don't not get here because of these guys, the feelings. I am a huge and big and enormous feeler. I'm all for feelings, people. Um, I love what Jen said last night that she heard that, you know, we, we don't get to control our feelings. They come, their, re, their reactions, their responses. We do control, we do get to have some control over what we do with them. But our feelings, don't be so scared of those feelings. Don't pull a U-turn because of those feelings. It would be a shame to not get to the promised land or to the other side or to that thing you want more than anything because you were afraid of persisting through feelings. Lean into the discomfort. It feels like it's going to break you down. And I'll be honest, it does. I've been on the floor a couple times in the last couple months um, saying, I don't want to do hard things anymore. Um, persist, persist. That's part of being real. That's part of leaning in. I want you to know that leaning in does not mean settling in. And by that, I mean, I want you to think of tents versus houses. The Israelites pitched tents in the wilderness. They did not build houses. So leaning in does not look like we're building our house and we're staying here forever. This is, we got a tent. We need some shelter. We're going to pick it up again the next day or the next week, and we're going to keep going because we don't know when we're getting there, but we're going to keep walking. So tents versus houses. Leaning in doesn't mean living in forever. I also want to just remind us of the obvious that we see so clearly with the Israelites is that time spent resisting, rebelling, and disobeying God's authority ultimately led them to wandering for 40 years. That wasn't necessarily the intent. God was very clear because he was very put off by their response that it was going to cost them a year for every day 
that they were out scoping the promised land. He sent them for 40 days to scout it out. They came back with the report. The people bought into the negative report, and God said, a year for every day you were gone, 40 years wandering. And so for an entire generation of those Israelites, they lost out on the promised land because of that. So there's actually a lot at cost at stake. This is a high stakes wilderness area. The leaning in versus the resisting or the rebelling worse, it's going to have a high cost. A little story, you know the great weather we've been having in Salem. One benefit for my son of having his parents both be unemployed is that we get lots of family time together and we can go do parks and bike rides in the middle of the day. doesn't matter if it's Saturday or Monday or Thursday. The motto at our house is, every day is Saturday. So a couple days ago, we were like, hey, it's a beautiful day, gorgeous fall leaves, this doesn't last forever, let's, let's go out, let's, let's go to some playgrounds today, bud. So we tell him where we're going, in, in this area, the Bush Park, the hospital, the Pringle Park area, there's like four or five different playgrounds with the two or three different parks adjoined. So we tell him where we're going and we say, you get to pick two playgrounds that we will visit on our walk. So he picks one, and we go, and he's whining and complaining about who knows what. The slide was wet, his feet were wet, his dad was chasing him too fast or not letting him win. It was just ridiculous. So we distract him, and we try and cheer him up, and blah, 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 and we're like walking to the next playground, and he's playing for a minute, but then he's upset because his shoe fell off, or his coat's too hot, or just incessant, like we're like, this is a gorgeous day. You have both of your parents. Would we, I literally said to my, I'm trying to rush. I know. I said, do you think your dad and I would be at these playgrounds without you? (laughs) He's like, I don't think so. (laughs) Well, we wouldn't. We're doing this for you. You know, we're telling, we're doing this for you. We're bringing you to these playgrounds. So we let him play at that playground. We're like, let's walk across to Bush Park now. And we're like, we let him pick two, but we're going to give him three. And I can't, I'm somewhat, uh, it's just constant, complaining, whining, everything's wrong. And we're like, let's go. Getting in the car and we're going home. He lost the promised land. I'm telling you, that is the (laughs) promised land for a four-year-old. Both your parents, 70 degrees, trees are on fire with the most gorgeous leaves, and we're going home because this is not whatever. So just a small real-world example of how the whining, the complaining, it takes a toll. There's going to be a cost. So with that encouragement, lean in. This wilderness area, this desert space, it is not forsaken. It's actually God-ordained. It's sacred. It's set apart. I want to encourage you to get what he, want, what he has for you in this season and not to miss it. The fourth uh, lesson here that I picked up from this uh, season of wandering Um, is that he will be everything that you need. 
He will be everything you need. He will be everything you need through his presence and his provision. He gives us such an off-the-charts example of his presence and his provision in the desert with the Israelites. It might not seem like much, but think about his presence being with them through the cloud by day, which offered guidance and protection, a pillar of fire by night, which offered guidance and maybe even comfort. Maybe there's, I think I was reading in that there was some heat that came off of that for them. Face-to-face meetings with their leader. I believe Moses, was Moses the only person that had face-to-face with God? No? Yes? We don't know? Don't strike that from the record. If Jen didn't say it, it didn't happen. (laughs) I'll have her deal in the heavy, you know. Okay. Anyway, their leader got face-to-face with God. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He gave them the organization for their culture and how they were to be set up. Things like Jennifer said last night were going to save their life. So he was there. He was with them. The provision. He parted the Red Sea. He gave them manna daily. So daily bread he gave them. And one, I'm going to pick this up because I'm a foodie. It said it was sweet. It tasted like honey. Now, to me, that's like a little extra something. It wasn't a communion wafer, okay? It was something that was filling and tasted sweet. Am I going to be in trouble for that? Is that wrong? Communion wafers are right, or they're fine. Um, Sometimes I start to think about the implications, and I just need to keep moving forward. Um, So, manna... Quail, they wanted meat. The the manna wasn't enough. We want meat. We had meat back in Egypt. We want meat. God provides flocks of quail in the middle of a desert for them so they can have meat. He gave them water from from rocks, and he also made it so that in 40 years of wandering, their clothes and their shoes never wore out. Okay? 40 years in the same clothes and shoes. Yeah, that's right. Gross. (laughs) It would have been cooler if he would have provided new clothes, but just that they didn't wear out, we'll take that. But that's just such an incredible provision and affirmation of his presence and that he is with them. So I had to ask an honest question of myself in this season. So my husband hasn't worked since last August because he went to school and then graduated in May. And then I stopped working in July. So That's kind of where we are. And I had to ask myself, in this season, are we lacking anything? Are we lacking anything other than the knowledge of what our next assignment is? And the honest answer is to that is we're not. We're not lacking anything. We have food on our table. The bills are getting paid. We have great relationships. We have a home. We have family. We have more than most. We are not lacking anything other than the answer about what's our next assignment? What do you have for us, God? He's meeting us in the daily with everything we need, his presence and his provision. 
There's a couple of things we don't have the luxury of having right now. It's pretty unnerving not to have health insurance. I'll be totally honest about that. But we haven't needed it. It's a little uncomfortable to not have a steady income. But God put it on our hearts 10, 11 years ago when we got married to start saving. I mean, maybe we thought we were going to buy a large piece of land in the country or something beautiful, but we're using it now. We're not adding to our savings account or funding our child's college right now, but that's, this isn't the season for that. Wealth building was not this, that's not the season that the Israelites were in. They were not in acquisition mode. They were not in um, let's, let's get more stuff mode um, in the wandering. And neither are we, because what we believe is that God is building internal wealth in us that is far more precious and much more valuable than the wealth that we could acquire or accumulate. And for the Israelites, they had an inheritance coming, a huge inheritance coming. So I want to challenge you to see how he's with you and providing for you in this season of wandering. Or in retrospect, if you're not wandering now, if you have been or you were, to reflect back. How did God provide for you? How was he present with you? Um, and in that, I, want, I think it's really important that we, I like to just say this, it sounds kind of cliche, name it and claim it. Like, if he provides for you, if he shows up for you, if you get a word from him, if you get an unexpected gift from him, name it, say it, share it, claim it as such. That is so faith-building. It's like the memorializing that the Israelites did um, as, as they crossed over the Jordan and began to, to conquer the promised land. They built altars. They, built memorial, they had memorial stones to memorialize what God did for them. This is a really important season to be intentional about doing that. Those are the things that are going to help you to remember when you're warrioring. The final point that I have here is that it's going to be worth it. It is going to be worth it. It was totally worth it for the Israelites as they claimed the promised land. I have a couple of stories to talk about how it will be worth it. One is going back to the croissant picture. You might have noticed the joy, grin, the elation on my face. I just feel so, yes, I've arrived. That's my promised land right there. Because let me tell you, I know my way around a kitchen. I know how to bake. I know how to cook. I don't need recipes. I love being in the kitchen. It's therapy for me. It's my art. It's my, I love it. I love feeding people. I love hosting people. I go over forever. Show you pictures of my food all day. So, but that class, I kid you not, I have never made croissants. Has anyone made croissants? Not crescent rolls out of a Pillsbury. I was like, I've done that. I've totally made these. I'm going to do the class. Anyone made croissants? Someone has. Okay, like very few. What a process. What a process. Hours. Really, if you're going to totally do it the right way, it is, an, it is a two-day process. 
And it requires, at this French bakery, the, the chef had a French accent, and I was like, I can't really understand what you're saying. It sounds cool, though. Um, and so I end up like watching the people next to me because we have the butter, and it's chilled to a certain temperature, and then you put it between some sort of parchment paper, and you're whacking it out to make it a seven-inch square, and then you're wrapping it in dough, and then you're pounding it again, and then you put it back in the fridge because the... Mm, Butter is melted just a little bit, and then you got to get it back out. You got to fold it and pound it, and then you got to cut it. it. It's math. It's geography. I'm no good. <laughs> it was. It was science. It was math. It was awful. So and then you you pull it. You get these triangles. You stretch it. Then you have to roll them a certain way and laminate it. Laminate it. What? Put it in the thing. Proof it. Proof. What is that? That geometry? My word. It was, it was horrible. But as I'm just doing and listening to the one who knows, I'm listening, I'm observing, I'm listening to the one who knows. We put those babies in that oven and we pulled them out and they turned out like that. I would say it was worth it. Listening to the one who knew. Another analogy for some of you who are not so into food, and maybe this is only for Natalie, who's a physical therapist. <laughs> I went to physical therapy a couple months ago. I was in a car accident, my back issues, compounded by the fact that being a therapist is a sedentary job. Um, really, really bad back pain. And so I tried all these other measures, then my doctor referred me to physical therapy. So I go to physical therapy. I've heard people talk about physical therapy, like it's, you gotta wear your workout clothes, you're gonna get a workout. Like, okay, I was like, okay, so I show up in my workout clothes and I go and they like have me like laying on a padded table like doing really small moves like just like put your pelvis into the table and hold it for 20. Okay cool and then it's like you know lift your leg and hold you know so it was all these things for like you know 40 minutes of like really small moves I was like all right great and I left and I came back the next time and it was more of that so I was like okay I did more of that and they're like great you're done it's looking good great you know so I have 16 appointments to do. So the third one, I show up, and I'm like, I don't need to wear workout clothes. I'm going to wear a normal bra. I'm not going to put my hair in a ponytail. And I get there, and my normal physical therapist isn't there. It's like the assistant. She's like, oh, hey, how's it going? She's gone, but I'm going to take care of you. I was like, cool, great, let's do this. She's like, how about being on the floor today? I was like, well, yeah, I'll be on the floor, like the padded table, but the floor is good. And so she's like, all right, so now I want you to get up in a plank position, and I want you to hold that for 20. And I'm like, a plank? She's like, you know, like on your shoulders, and da, da, da. I was like, okay. So I'm like doing that, and I'm like shaking. I haven't done a plank in like four years, six years before pregnancy probably. Planking, okay. And then she's like, now I want you to be on your knees, and I've got this board with some wheels on it, and I want you to roll it out in front of you and roll it back. And I'm like, and like all it uses is your core, right? I mean, I ended up doing, and I, here I am, hair down, regular street clothes, and I'm like getting ticked. I was like, I think you are reading somebody else's chart because that is not my therapy. Like, I come in here, I lay on a padded table, and I do imperceptible moves for 40 minutes, and I leave. And she's like, and so I am like trying to keep my cool. Then she gets the ball out, and she wants me to do like holding it behind my feet while I'm planking and trying to keep my feet together. I wish I could demonstrate, but you don't. You would enjoy that, but I wouldn't. I mean, it was, I was sweating and I was ticked. So two days later when I come back and it's my normal physical therapist, I'm like totally ready for like being back on the padded table. 
And she's like, let's get out to the weight room today. And I'm like, what is going on? So for the next like 16 treatments, I am working every muscle in my body that hasn't been touched or contracted in years, except for what feels like my back. I'm like, I'm here for my back. But after 16 physical therapy sessions, I have like zero back pain. So it was, is that a good thing, Natalie? You're like, it worked. I mean, it was about trusting the one who knew. The process didn't make any sense to me. It's my back. It's not my abs. I know they're not good, but come on. And it was about trusting the one who knew and engaging in the process that was put before me. And the results were there. I also want to remind us that all the while, that while the Israelites were wandering, he was preparing the promised land for them. The land that, that, that was going to be their inheritance, it was being tended to and cultivated by its current inhabitants. Crops were being planted and being tended to and yielded and were increasing And that all was work that was being done while they were wandering so that when they moved in, it was going to be like move-in ready for them. It was going to be abundant. It was going to be filled with good things that other people had been tending to while they were wandering. So I wanted to say that with some encouragement, that if you're wandering, he is preparing. We don't get to see that, but we got to believe that he's preparing that place, and it's going to be better than we could have imagined. A couple last things before we close. John 10.10 says that Jesus came to give us life, that we might have life to the full. That's one of my favorite verses because I am an experienced person. I want to experience life. I want to taste it. I want to touch it. I want to see it. I want to smell it. I want to be in it. I want to feel it. I want to feel the emotions to the full. I want to, I want to experience life to the full. So if he really came that we might have life and have life to the full, if you think of this range of like really hard things of life and really amazing things of life, if we came to have life to the full, we're not just going to live here in the really hard, really dark, really tough. That's not life to the full. That is part of life to the full. But I have a belief that we're not going to be here forever. We're going to be here too and everywhere in between. So maybe that's also a little bit of a reminder too for people who are warrioring and getting the things that they're claiming what's been promised to them. It's not always going to be here. It's going to be this full spectrum but some encouragement that it's not always going to be here. He came that you might have life to the full. So just one last reiteration that the desert place is not a forsaken place. It's a sacred place. It's a consecrated, God-ordained space for him to take us deeper with him, to refine us, to equip us, to prepare us, and to attune us. Mark 8.36 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul. What does it profit us to get what we want, but like, this isn't going to be there with it? This wandering journey, this desert place is about our souls. It's about our hearts. 
It's about who we are so that when it comes, we can fully be there with it.